Everybody, welcome to Brotherly Pod. Here it is, Wednesday, April 27, 2022, here. And uh, last week of the Flyer season, two days and nine hours. That's uh, 3,420 minutes until the Flyer season comes to an end. But who's counting? I am. It's me. I'm counting. I want it to end, Anthony. I can't take it anymore. <laughs> yeah, me too. Uh, we... <laughs> Got a couple more days left, and then we can watch some meaningful hockey in the playoffs. And the thing is, is that with the way the playoffs have kind of, like, been set for two months or so, like, it feels like there's been no meaningful games now for quite a while. Especially in the uh, Metro Division. The Metro Division's been out of touch since, like, December. Or the East in general, to be honest with you. Yeah, lots of uh, talent disparity here. And, uh, well... That means we can focus ahead for the Flyers into a <laughs> what's going to be a very busy offseason, one way or the other here. And, uh, you know, before we get to all the, the, the trades and the fun of free agency when we sign Nazim Kadri to a stupid contract, we got to uh, <laughs> got to talk a little bit of some prospects, taking a look at the, you know, uh, what the Flyers are dealing with inside, looking ahead to the draft as well. And to help us do that, uh, returning guest from the North American Central Scouting Independent Bureau and the Barry Colts, Mark Seidel is back. Mark, how you doing? Good boys, how are you doing? Doing good, doing doing pretty good, all things considered. And well, if the season ends today, the Flyers would pick fourth overall. Uh, obviously, we have the draft lottery, which I believe is the tenth of May. Uh, you know, for them to uh, undoubtedly get booted back a few spots, just because luck doesn't favor this team. But uh, you know, what are we looking at top five in this draft this year? Is this going to be a deep draft? Do you think that you know they have a good possibility of selecting a a game changer at fourth overall well absolutely i think it's a good draft you know i think it's uh it's been a weird year honestly i think last summer if you'd asked scouts around the nhl guys would said it's a great draft after like november everybody was like oh my god this is not a great draft this is a very become a poor draft and now we're we're through the full year and i think it's it's back to becoming a, a good to very good draft i think you know that the covid year nobody knew how it was going to affect these kids and it really did affect a lot of them. Not only the kids that played last year, the kids that didn't play, uh, all of them seemed to, there, there seemed to be almost a COVID hangover. I don't know what it was, but uh, uh, in the second half since Christmas, you know, things have really kind of focused and, and uh, you know, the players that we thought would be good, certainly we've had some surprises, but I, I think it's going to be a good draft. I think at four, or 
yeah, maybe you just win the lottery. Maybe you get lucky, boys, and uh, <laughs> and move up a couple spots. But uh, no, I think at four, you know, I, I, anyway, if you pick anywhere, kind of, you know, I think in the top ten. Uh, obviously, the higher you get, the the better player you get. But yeah, I think Flyer fans should be excited that uh, you know what they should get a very very good player, probably a centerman. Um, you know, our top five guys are, are three centermen and two right wingers. So, um, you know, you kind of got that option. And then there's a couple D in there too, if they let it that way. But all in all, they should get a very, very good player and uh, it should be kind of a piece for their team going forward. Well, to look at it from more of a league-wide standpoint, to shift away from the Flyers for a second, it seems like Shane Wright's the slam dunk to go first overall. A lot of people had Logan Cooley going number two, but I've seen some proje- projections that have him going as low as four with Simon Nemich, the right shot defenseman, kind of firing up the ranks. With the assumption that Wright will go first overall, how do you kind of map out on a general scale how two, three, four, and five will end up falling? Yeah, we're different than uh, uh, most people, I think, or most groups that put stuff out there. So so we've got Shane going number one. And, and in early January, we moved him to three, quite frankly. Uh, you know, his first half was very underwhelming. Didn't play well at all. Um, wasn't, you know, they, they talk about being Patrice Bergeron, you know, junior, and, and he didn't, you know, he certainly defensively wasn't even playing that well. So we dropped him down to three. Um, ironically, it started about the week after we dropped him down, and, and he's been on fire since. I mean, his offensive game has, has blossomed and taken off. And, as I mentioned earlier, he's one of those guys that didn't play last year at all because of the COVID and the OHL not playing. So it took him a while, but since that point, he's he's taken off. His points have gone through the roof. He's he's become that impact dynamic player that we all thought he was. Now he's not a generational guy like a McDavid or you know even a Matthews, um, but but he's going to be a very very good player. So he's going to go one. Right now we got Joaquin Camel at two, the Finnish kid, um, a real skilled. Think you know he kind of reminds me at times of the Stutzler kid in Ottawa, um, you know, a little bit underrated, makes plays you don't expect, quick to pucks, uh, that kind of a thing. Matthew Savoie is, is a kid that we really love. And again, he just sent him playing in the, the Western Hockey League in Winnipeg, had a fantastic year, um, wasn't actually invited to the World Juniors for Canada, um, you know, which, which kind of surprised me a little bit. But um, at the end of the day, he, he's had a great year. And, uh, you know, I think he's, I think we've got him a lot higher than most people do, but you know every viewing we have with him, he he really is a guy that is a difference maker at times. Uh, George Slikowski, the kid who again had a very very average to below average first half of the year, all he did was go to the Olympics and and become the MVP of the Olympics. Um, you know, as a 17 year old, and uh, you know he's gone back and he hasn't been able to translate that uh, altogether to to the league when he went back to it. But he's still it's hard to look past the guy that's you know six three six four winger that you know, was basically the MVP Olympics. And I know the NHL guys weren't there, but, you know, there's still a lot of really, really good players in that tournament, and, and he really did dominate at times. So, And then Logan Cooley's who the guy, the guy we do have at five, and, and that's not a knock on Logan. You know, I'm a big fan personally. Our staff's a little bit divided on him in terms of his ultimate upside. But, you know, I just think in this draft with these guys, I mean, he could easily go two, he could easily go five. I think it's it's anywhere in that mix, but he's certainly one of those guys that, again, he, he could be a franchise centerman. Um, you know, he, he did make the U.S. World Junior team and, of course, got cut short. But, you know, talking to those guys, he was going to be an important part. It wasn't like he was going in there to just be a piece. He was he was an important part of what they were going to do. He was going to get power play time. So, you know, I think uh, he's a guy who's continued on, had a good year. And it's just the, the rise of some of those other guys is what's kind of pushed him down. But it's certainly not a knock on him. So if the draft happens right now, you're taking Shane Wright first overall without any question, right? Yep, 100%. Yeah, I think it's. 
again, I think, you know, what we saw last year at the under 18s, for example, he dominated. And that's where everybody said, okay, this is a slam dunk for next year. And, and in the first half, he really struggled. I mean, it was at one point, I think he was, you know, he's basically just under a point a game and he was an even player in terms of plus minus. And the analytics on him weren't great. So, but like I said, from mid January on, he has been, uh, been electric, um, you know, playing his complete game and, and really, you know, if you're picking first, I think I've said to you guys before, if you're going to pick first, you want someone that's going to bring people out of their seats and, you know, he has to be able to create offensively. And, and that was a concern in the first half, but he's shown the second half that, no, that's, that's been, uh, those years have been late. And, and now he's a guy that I think is, is probably, I think he's a lock to go one. So with the, with the way the lottery is currently constructed, the Flyers could fall as far as seven, maybe eight, if they finish fifth from the bottom in the NHL. And if that's the case, maybe you're looking at two guys that we haven't touched on that are kind of on like that fringe right outside the top five in David Yurchek and Connor Geeky. If they were to go with one of those two guys, what kind of players would they be getting? And are either of them close to being NHL ready? Uh, Yurchek, big defenseman, very steady, smart defenseman, uh, has a little bit of nasty to his game, which, again, I know Philly fans uh, have a tendency to like that kind of stuff. Uh, I think he's still a couple years away. I think he's raw. He's got to grow into his body. Connor Geeky is, is a big centerman, big Western Canada centerman. Um, again, he's probably a couple years away too. I, I don't think if you drop out of that top two or three, I don't. I think you're going to have to wait a couple years. I think both those guys, Simon Nemitz is a smaller D, uh, another right shot D that, you know, again, I really like. We've got Nemitz at six, um, Geeky at seven, year check at eight. So you're, you're right in the next year for sure. But, you know, the, the two defensemen you're going to get are probably a couple years away, um, and, and Geeky probably is too, although he's he's closer physically to be able to play. Um, you know, I think, if, you know, a year, another year junior, maybe a year in the American League, and, and he should be good to go as a, as a, a guy down the middle that could really kind of be an anchor piece for that team. Now, if the Flyers are at fourth overall, there's always kind of the raging debate, you know, best player available or by position. If you're the Flyers at fourth overall, what do you think you're taking? You have to take best player available. You just the whole idea of and fans talk about lots about drafting for need. You just can't do it. I mean, it's in the NFL you can because you're drafting 22, 23 year olds are going to step in next year and and play a big part, you know, of your team next year. These kids are two, three, sometimes four years away, and you have no idea what your franchise looks like in in two, three, or four years. I mean, you know, I've heard people say, "Well, we're 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 hurting for right defensemen." I mean, you may, I guarantee teams have taken some right defense for the last two years that you're maybe not thinking about could step in and play. So, you know, now you, you, you skip a better player to take a right shot D, uh, just as an example. And by the time he's ready for the NHL, you're like, well, geez, we already got four right shot D. You know what I mean? So you have to take the best player available because, you know, you, you don't know what the future holds. And secondly, we've seen this. These uh, players become pieces in trades at some point in time too. So, you know, you, you don't want to bypass for, to fill a need and then you're looking to try to you know do something next year at the deadline or a couple years down the road at the deadline and the guy you got you know really isn't that covered by other teams but he filled a need for you so anybody that says they draft for need especially in the first round i think is, is well teams just don't do it and and if people suggest they do they're they're incorrect as you get later in the draft i mean if you haven't taken a you know if you get to the fourth or fifth round you haven't taken a goalie teams will take the goalie you know because they've got to try and keep restocking that cupboard and you know if you haven't taken a right d and it's a fifth or sixth round and the right d you like there They'll take them, but but certainly in that first and second round, I think they, they always and you should always take the best player available. You know, they're entering the fourth draft under the current regime of Chuck Fletcher and Brent Flair, and they've kind of changed up their drafting philosophy from the regime that preceded them. 
And it seems like Flair and Fletcher in later rounds, outside of the top for the top round, let's say, have taken guys with higher ceilings and lower floors. Like guy, a guy like Elliot Denoyer out of the queue, a guy like Connor McLennan out of the WHL. You know, he is a second round pick, but they're already somewhat reaping the rewards of Bobby Brink. What is the risk and reward about trying to draft guys with high end skill who maybe don't have as high as a floor of the classic two way guys? Well, I think you're exactly right. I think if if you look at it, and you guys hit it right on the head, I think they've they've decided that size is is far less important than skill. And you know, we've seen some teams do that. The Toronto Maple Leafs, famously, I mean, that's their that's their mantra. They don't the size means nothing to them. They want skill. They they feel like you can get either you need to get a big power forward or you know a two way guy, a third line guy. You can trade for that or figure that out somewhere down the road. You try to draft as much skill as you can. And I think Philly's done that as well. And like you say, it's. Uh, I think they're trying, you know, you try to see the way the game is going and obviously it's getting smaller, quicker, more skilled and you see some success that some of these teams are having with it. So, you know, I don't think it's a surprise. I think they've done a good job. I really do. I think, uh, um, you know, and the fact that size is, is less important, you know, it's always a debate, you know, you can be small skilled. I mean, Toronto's a good example, not to bring them up again, but you know, they had a great regular season, but if they go out in the first round because they're just not big enough and strong enough, you're going to have people saying, well, that, that theory doesn't work and we'll see if it does, but I, I think they're all down the right track. I, I don't disagree with what Kyle Dubas's theory is, and and now what uh, Fletcher and Flair are thinking is that you know what we can skill is the one asset that's hard to find in guys, and we're going to take it. And you know whether guys five nine or or six one, uh, we're going to take the more skilled guy and hope that we want to play a fast skilled game going forward. Now, Anthony just mentioned uh, Denoyer, and I think that's an interesting 2020 fifth round pick. Really has emerged well ever since his draft year. He had 36 goals and 78 points this season. He'll make the jump to the pro level next year, more than likely in the AHL. How do you think his game transitions as he as he you know works his way up the ladder here? Uh, well, he's an undersized center, but he works so hard. He's such a good character kid. You know, talk to those guys out east; they love him to death. Uh, uh, full transparency, here, boys. We didn't even have him in our top 150. Um, so when it was a pick, you know, again, it was a fifth round pick, so it's not like they jumped in the second, but, um, he, he has improved a ton in the past two years. I think that's the biggest thing with him. You watch him play. I mean, the effort level is there. He's got enough skill. Uh, you know, he's a captain, all those things that you're looking for. And I think, you know, there, there's a case of them looking at a guy determining, Hey, you know what? He's not the biggest kid in the world. And he's not a prototypical centerman. Uh, it may not even be a prototypical third line centerman at some point in time, but, but we think he's got enough jam to his game and skill and, you know, a couple inches on this height isn't going to deter us. And, and, you know, I think it's going to turn out to be a very good pick for them. You know, the Flyers over the last month or so have welcomed three players coming out of the NCAA and Noah Cates, Ronnie Adderd, and Bobby Brink. My first question to you is, what did you think of these kids while they were still playing in their respective colleges? And two is, how is the development and transition from the NCAA different from the leagues in the CHL umbrella? Uh, give me the three guys again. Sorry, I, I missed that. Uh, uh, Noah Tate, Addard, Addard yeah. and Bobby Brink. Ah, okay, there you go. Um, the, first of all, the difference between the leagues is, you know, I think the good part about kids coming out of the NCAA is is they practice a ton. So a lot of their skill development is done in terms, you know, they practice basically five times a week and maybe play twice during the season. Uh, and the CHL, you know, you have a couple practices, but you're you're playing so much, you're traveling so much, you have less time to practice and more good more you know you're playing more games so you know the difference is guys coming out of major junior are a little more prepared for the pro lifestyle and schedule 
Um, but those NCAA guys, you can get a little later, obviously, when they're 22, 23. They're a little more physically uh, matured, and they've spent a lot of time on the practice ice, you know, developing a lot of things. Um, and the NCAA game is a lot more technical. So generally, guys coming out of college are a lot more aware defensively. You, know, you can have guys play major junior that are kind of, you know, they can still cheat a little bit because, you know, that's kind of their game where, in the NCAA, I mean, a lot of low-scoring games, teams have to be solid defensively. And because they have so much practice time, they can you know, coaches develop systems. So I think that's kind of the difference. I mean, Bobby Brink was a guy we loved. Uh, you know, I just told you how we didn't have the uh, Noe in our list. But, I mean, Bobby Brink, we had a 23. Um, always, his foot speed's been an issue, quite frankly. But one of the things, talking around and talking to him, is that I, I always personally thought that he'd find a way to get over it just because um, yeah, he's such a hard-working kid. Um, and, and he has his skating's come a long way. Um, Adderd is, is a guy that, uh, you know, what I think is, again, another guy that's got a lot better. Um, he's a big, strong kid. Um, you know, I wasn't sure he had enough skill for it, and we'll still see if he does to, to, be, uh, to be a guy that can play at that level. And, uh, you know, I mean, he's, his feet still have to get a little bit better, certainly, but uh, at that size and ability, I think, you know, again, another good pick. And who was the last one? Sorry. Oh, no, Kate, sorry. Um, you know, another really smart centerman they took. And again, uh, he can fly. He's a guy that, you know, understands the game. And, you know, we just talked about their theory with other guys about, you know, size not being the biggest issue in the world. Um, and, uh, but, but skill, hockey IQ and sense. And then Noah Gates certainly has all that in spades. So, you know, all three picks that, you know, I think were good picks. Uh, can I say they're all going to play in the national league? I think Bobby Brinkwell for sure. I don't think there's anything out there. Those other two are on the right path, but we'll, they still have a lot of development to go here. Last year during the pandemic, there were some junior players that had the opportunity to play in the AHL while the CHL was shut down. And for the Flyers, that was Tyson Forrester and Zade Wisdom. Do you think that kind of, you know, the, the jump early on that they can play in the AHL, you get to the pro level, but it's not quite the NHL. Do you think that helps certain players? Obviously, this is kind of a hot topic, you know, whether or not you can let these quad a guys the guys that are probably too good for the juniors but not quite good enough for the nhl you know whether they can make that jump to the ahl full time and uh, how do you think that helps their transition you know as they come back up this season after force went back to juniors after his injury well i think there's a couple things i think you know I, I, the nhl teams loved it right because you know they could get guys there you, you know like you say the high-end guys who might dominate major junior now they can go and play in the american league and i think you saw some of that with with, with both wisdom and forster I think the downside to it is exactly what happened to Tyson is that, you know, the injuries mount. I mean, he's still a kid, he's still a boy and you're playing against 30 year old men. And I think you've seen some injuries. So, you know, I really think you have to, and again, this is in hindsight, I didn't think of this beforehand. and I don't think many NHL teams did, but I think you have to now look at, you know, body type, way the guy plays. I mean, uh, you know, Zade Wisdom was a guy physically, you know, he is a man, he was ready to play. Um, now, of course he got hurt too, but I, I think that was a different situation. So, you know, I think that's an issue that, you know, going forward, um, it's not really going to matter going forward because I don't think that rule is going to change. But I think that would be something they have to consider. And, you know, the, both guys got invaluable experience. They learned how pros work, how pros practice, how pros live. So all that is good. And, you know, what you could say, and certainly, you know, as part of being the Barry staff, we're, we're quite happy to have Tyson back. And, and we really like the fact that he's back. But, you know, I think it's been the best case for both guys, too. They're able to come back and play major junior, get some of that confidence back after some injuries play a lot, play key roles on their team, and then, you know, they'll go in next year and, and you know, both will be in the American League at, at minimum next year. You know, we already kind of talked about the philosophy of Fletcher and Flair's drafting, and you could even go back to their time in Minnesota and Bill Guerin reaping the rewards there. 
um, for the work that they did in the early 2010s and mid 2010s. But to look at Ron Hextall's draft in Philadelphia, he really kind of emphasized, you know, taking the good two-way guys, put a lot of stock into size, drafting guys like Isaac Ratcliffe and Matthew Strong outside of the top round, uh, outside of the first round, rather, you know, drafting two-way centermen like Pascal LaBerge and Connor Bonneman. What's the danger in a drafting philosophy like that? Well, I think at the end of the day, you know, I, I think we have to be fair to, to Ronnie and, and his staff. I mean, when they the first few years that they were they were there, they did a really good job. And you know, certainly they had some misses in those later years that you talked about some of those guys. Um, you know, I think the Nolan Patrick thing was a tough case. Uh, you know, they get crucified for it now, but you know, I can tell you, living and working and breathing in this industry, there weren't there wasn't anybody that was when they took Nolan Patrick like, oh my God, I can't believe they took him. I mean, if um, yeah. You know, virtually almost any other team was picking there that have taken them too. So, you know, it's easy in hindsight to say, well, you should have known. I mean, who knew both the injuries would happen and stuff like that. So I, I don't, I'm a little defensive for them on, on that pick, but you know, to, to answer your question, I think the issue then is become, you, you become a team that isn't as skilled as they need to be. You know, you've got a bunch of guys. And again, you can only just like, you know, you have two, you know, six top six forwards. You can only have six top bottom six forwards. So, I mean, you, know, you take a bunch of those two-way guys who don't have a ton of offensive upside, and I mean, there's only so many spots for those guys too. So, you know, ultimately, you know, I, again, I, I go back to the theory I mentioned earlier. I think you can find those guys, you know, whether it be in the American League or even if you have to trade for them, I don't think it's a huge price. You try to trade for a top six skill guy, you're paying through the nose. And you know, I think some of those picks they made, there were different reasons why they made them, and I don't think they consciously went into the draft thinking, okay, we want two-way guys here. Um, but but it's apparent by the picks that that became very important to them, and. You know, I think that's that's just a, a philosophy you have of, okay, this kid is going to be able to play sooner because he understands the way to play away from the puck. But ultimately, your team isn't as skilled as, as it needs to be. And I think, you know, you're looking at this year's team and you're looking at some of the results lately. and You can see the impact of that. I mean, other teams that took guys that have skill or playing and being impactful players, where in Philly it's not necessarily, you know, happening and they're kind of, a, you know, quite frankly, an ugly team to watch at times. One of the... Interesting developments with Sam Tuomali took last year. Originally made the AHL, stuck around for a couple weeks, only played two games, and then was shipped back to Finland where he only had one goal and three points on the season rather than going to his CHL team. What do you think the development is over there? Obviously, it's more earned ice time. You kind of work your way up the ranks versus, you know, the junior leagues where you kind of get thrown into the deep. But, you know, how do you make a player, especially somebody who's on the smaller size like Tuomali like that? You know, Sam, it was a really strange decision. I'm not going to lie to you guys. When I saw what he was doing in the American League and stuff, I thought for sure he was going down. I think you know, Sudbury has his rights in the Canadian Hockey League, and I was sure he was going to Sudbury. And, you know, and then uh, the agent told me, no, he's going to go back, and he's going to play over there. And I, I thought it was a strange move at the time. I mean, um, you know, you want to acclimate him. I know language has been a bit of an issue with him. You know, all those things, you put him into the Canadian Hockey League, let him play a pro schedule, and, you know, the physical side is one part of the game that, you know, Sam has to get a little more uh, involved in and all that stuff would happen. And they made the decision to send it back. And I, I, I sense it was more a decision by the agent kind of saying, we think this is best. And Philly saying, hey, you know what I mean? It, you know, they certainly had some input to it, but I, I was surprised. I guess that's the way of saying it. So when you go over there, yeah, you're, you're certainly making more money uh, than you would in the Canadian Hockey League. There's no doubt about that. And it's a different game and you're playing against men at times. Um, but, uh, it, you know, it didn't work for him, and I, I don't think anybody could look at what they did and said, "Well, this was a good decision." Now, I think a lot of that rests with Tuomala. I don't think he's played well because it's it's like anywhere. If you play well, coach is going to play. It doesn't matter what situation you're in. 
Um, so I think he has to take some responsibility for it. Uh, I think he had a really disappointing year, and I think as Flyers fans, I would be very concerned about, you know, what is the future for this guy? And I'm not going to say if he came to the Canadian Hockey League, you know, things would have been different. I have no idea if they would have or not, but I just thought it was a strange decision, and, and it's one that I don't think worked out, quite frankly, very well for them. We we talked about earlier, you know, the Fletcher-Flair drafting history, and obviously with maybe a potential rebuild or potential retool on the horizon, many of the Flyers faithful are critical whether or not the Fletcher-Flair regime would be good enough to steer them through this. But I look at some of the picks that they made during their time with Minnesota. You know, a guy like Luke Coonan, who's carved out a nice spot for himself with the Nashville Predators. You look at the way the Wild are built right now around Joel Erickson Act, Kirill Kaprizov, Jordan Greenway, all those defensemen. Alex Tuck, who they took in the first round, who's carved out a nice role for himself in the NHL with Buffalo. Based on their drafting history and your professional opinion, could the are the Fletcher and Flair type of guys or that regime good enough drafters to help steer a team like the Philadelphia Flyers through a rebuild if need be? Well, I think so. I think, you know, in this business, one of the things I do love about this business is the old Danny Green line. You are what your record says you are. So, I mean, we can look back at those guys and, you know, and, and certainly, you know, over 30 years, my stuff was all out there too. So you can look back and say, okay, you're, you know, you, you knew kind of what you're doing or you didn't, you can't change it, right? If you work for a team and that's who they draft, you can't say, well, we were going to take this guy. We should have taken this guy. So, you know, I think you look back at the Fletcher Fair record and, you know, again, anybody in this business that doesn't expect to make mistakes and miss on guys, they're crazy because it happens all the time. Um, but I think for the most part, they've done a good job. As you said, I think the guys in Minnesota right now are really bearing the fruit of some of the work they did. So, you know, I think if I'm a Flyer fan, I'm a big fan of Blair Flair. I think he does. He works hard. I see him a lot in the rinks. Uh, he grinds. Um, and I think the result of that is they've been able to draft pretty well. I think they've done a pretty good job in Philly. Um, so, you know, I, I think they're in good hands. You never know, obviously. You, you know, I mean, if you'd have asked me after the first couple of years about uh, Ronnie Hextall's group, I would have said, hey, they're in good hands. And, you know, they went a couple of years where it didn't work out very well. So it's a crapshoot. We're taking 17-year-old kids and trying to figure it out. But all you can do is look at a guy's track record, and, and I would feel pretty comfortable with those guys. If, if I was a fan and they were running my drafts, I'd, I'd feel pretty comfortable in good hands you know, going forward. There was one other prospect that kind of jumped off the page when I was doing some research for this show, and that was uh, defenseman Ethan Sampson, the 2021 uh, sixth-round pick, had 15 goals and 43 points in 68 games for the Prince George's Cougars this year. Obviously, another late-round pick under the Hextel era. What do you uh, kind of project to see moves on here? I mean, again, I, you know, I think we're having a pattern here. I'm talking about guys that have improved a ton, and... Uh, you know, when you're, when you're talking about drafting, you're, you're looking, you, you're not looking at a finished product. You're trying to draft guys you think are going to be a lot better going forward. And, you know, whether they've, you know, I'm going to give them credit for it. Sometimes you get a little lucky, you take a kid who really blossoms, you know, as an 18 year old and stuff. And, but, you know, they've obviously done this with a few guys. So you have to give them credit for it. But I mean, this is a kid that, you know, really, I thought, again, when he was taken, it's late. So nobody's too concerned about too much. But I think guys, a lot of people, especially Western guys were like, yeah, I don't know about that one. And now, guy, you know, people are like, geez, they, they were bang on in this one. So, once again, I think they have to deserve credit. Um, you know, it's one thing to put up in the Western Hockey League, which he's done, um, really come from nowhere to become a, a really good player. Um, you know, we'll see if that can continue on into pro and into the National Hockey League. But, again, when you're picking late like that, if you get a guy who blossoms, I mean, that's a bonus for you. And, I, and you know, they take their slings and arrows and they miss on guys, and they, they certainly deserve their bouquets of roses when they, when they hit on them. And I think he's another guy to hit on pretty well. Seven years ago, Ron Hextall used his last pick in the 2015 draft to draft a goaltender by the name of Ivan Fedotov. And needless to say, 
kind of made a name for himself the last two or three years in the KHL, shined at the, um, at the uh, World uh, Juniors, was it, or was it the Olympics? Oh, yeah, it was the Olympics this past year. And a lot of people now are expecting him, obviously, you know, war reasons providing, maybe he could come over. What do you think of a guy like Ivan Fedotov, and how do you think his game and how quickly could he translate his game to the North American uh, type of uh, play? Well, first of all, you, you can't teach size. So, I mean, he can stop a puck whether he's in Moscow or whether he's in Minnesota. Um, so I think that's it. I think, you know, we always, we get a little North American centric in this business and, and we always think we have to get guys over here to develop. You know, if teams draft guys, and they don't come over. You know, we talked with two of them all. It didn't work out, but you're always thinking, oh, we got to get them over to develop. I mean, this is a kid who is a massive kid. He always has been was certainly a project. I mean, when, when they took him, it was a project. You know, it wasn't one that shocked a lot of people at that size and, you know, he certainly had some ability, but he played over there. He stayed, you know, in his homeland, his home food, his home country, his home culture, and just kept getting better. And and as you say, at the Olympics, I mean, he was probably the biggest revelation at the Olympics is the job he did. I mean, uh, you know, nobody knew really what was going to happen with Russia and net. Um, you know, we've seen guys like Shesterkin, we've seen Sorkin, those guys and the guys uh, who've come over. And, you know, they, after playing over there, and I think this kid could be a very good example. I mean, I, I think if I'm, I'm off the top of my head, I think his contract ends this summer, if I'm not mistaken. So I would assume that they would be bringing him over. Um, and, you know, I mean, he's probably an American League goalie uh, to start with here. But, you know, like I said, they take some slings and arrows for guys they missed on. But, you know, Ronnie deserves credit for taking this kid and, and Philly for being patient with them and letting them play. And the kid deserves credit for getting better. But, you know, could I say that he can't be a starter in the NHL? No. I mean, if you watch the Olympics, you're looking at a guy that has a lot of upside. And, and as I said, he's a massive kid, which always helps, too. So, you know, I think that's one that would be interesting to watch. I would expect they'll sign him here. Uh, and bring him over starting in the, in the fall and, and probably playing in the American League. But uh, uh, a guy certainly to watch. And it's nice when you get a seventh-round pick like that that has a chance to, to be an NHL goalie and, and, if not a backup, a starter maybe even. And uh, one last one for you here. As you know, we go into a very critical summer for the Flyers where it's you know rebuild or retool. It's been the constant thing. If they do choose the rebuild path, what – kind of foundation prospect wise do you think they have here before they go into this uh, 2022 draft the guys like allison and cates and you know day Noyer, do you think there's a kind of a bright future brewing in philadelphia right now uh, i'd love to say yeah i think it's hugely bright i think there's still some troubled waters ahead they've got some good pieces some good young pieces i'm not sure they have any uh, you know a set of stars and hopefully they can get that with you know, the fourth pick or wherever they end up in this year's lottery is a guy you can build around. I think they've got some some pieces, but I don't think it's littered with guys that I, you know, I think are guaranteed to play. I mean, we've talked about those guys. You know, can I say for sure if Noy is going to play in the NHL? No, I can't. You know, Wade Allison is a big kid, you, you think. But so there's pieces to a team. I, I'm just not sure I see some of the high-end stuff. I mean, Tyson Forster, obviously I'm a big fan of and stuff. He's going to be in their top six. And, uh, you know, I, I just, I'm not, I'm not blown away by their prospect base. I think they've got a lot of pieces and they've got a lot of uh, uh, capital of, of players that, you know, have shots at it. But I, I just think that they have to upgrade some of the, the star power and the skill power of this. And, and these guys, as we talked earlier, are trying to do that with some of the picks they've made and, and hopefully it pays off. But, you know, I, I would be encouraged if I was a Flyers fan, but I wouldn't be booking uh, Stanley Cup final tickets in three years <laughs> anytime soon. So just a quick follow-up before we let you go. Uh, let's just say in a hypothetical world, this year they draft a guy like Matthew Savoie inside the top five, and then they get another top five pick next year. 
and those guys come in to inject with the already pre-existing crop of talent. Do you think that would drastically change your opinion for the better of this group? Yeah, I think so. I, I think, uh, you know, I mean, again, next year at the top of the draft, there's two literal generational players, um, you know, so you don't want to say they should lose next year and maybe maybe get one of those two. If they get one of those two, their future changes significantly. But it's still a very good draft next year. The Fantilli kid is playing for Canada. The under-18s is probably going to be a 3-4 pick next year. And so, yeah, I mean, if they got, you know, like you say, if they took Savoy and, and next year they got a, a top-five pick, I mean, now you've added those two kind of star pieces that I think they're lacking a little bit. You know, and you've got a bunch of these guys who are, are able to mix into the middle six, uh, you know, forwards and stuff like that. So, yeah, I think they're they're a lot better off. Um, uh, you know, but, I mean, uh, the next part of this whole process is always the development of players. And, and, and some of these guys we've talked about that the Flyers drafted, I don't think, quite frankly, uh, you know, I don't think they've developed a good, done a great job developing. You know, I think that's changed a little bit under uh, under these guys now, and, and they're trying to change that model up. So, you know, I, but to answer your question, yeah, if they got if they got two top five picks in the next uh, next two years, um, you know, I think going forward with the the amount of quality prospects they have, I think yeah, then it then it turns very bright. So you know, we'll see what happens. But it, unfortunately for Flyer fans, that would be another year of misery, and I'm not sure you guys can take that, quite frankly. Make a good point there. <laughs> <laughs> well, Mark, thank you very much for taking your time here to come and talk to us, and uh, we'll catch up with you down the road. Absolutely, boys. Enjoy it. I enjoy your work. I listen to the podcast all the time. If you if you ever need anything, as I told you, feel free. And uh, good luck with the draft. Good luck with the last couple of games here. And enjoy your summer. You guys deserve a, a summer of peace for a bit. So <laughs> I appreciate you having me on. And, and yeah, I look forward to talking to you again. Thanks, Mark. Thanks, guys. Steady, sir. All right, everybody. That was Mark Seidel, the North, Amen- uh, North American Central Scouting Independent Bureau. And, uh, you know, I, I think he gave some promising outlooks on some of these guys, but I think he said a lot of what we're already feeling, which is looking at the current group here, it can kind of go either way. You know, you got the Allisons and Foresters of the world that, you know, if they go right and things go right, you're good, but, you know, there's still some questions. And, you know, as Desnoyers especially, I think he's one of those guys that if he can transition to the NHL well next year, you have better hopes. You know, if he struggles a little bit, then you're kind of back from square one and need some help. So, overall, I don't think he said anything that was, uh, you know, too far off from what, uh, you know, what we've been projecting on the show lately. No, and it was nice to hear him confirm what, you know, we've all been thinking, and that's that they just lack that high-end skill. And look, yeah. Chuck Fletcher said as much, Danny Briere said as much, that that is what this team is missing. And I truly do think that if, well, they're getting probably a top seven at worst pick this year, and I think this draft is a little more top-heavy than people originally may have thought. And I think that the Flyers are going to get a very good player here. But let's say you get another top five pick next year. You know, by 2023, 2024, you may have something really cooking here because I think the Flyers have a lot of good complementary pieces already in place. And, you know, he kind of echoed what we had been saying to the resistance of many people who just hate Chuck Fletcher that, you know, Chuck Fletcher and more so Brent Flair, and I'm happy he really zoned in on Brent Flair and mentioned how hard he works and how good he is at his role. I think they're in good hands with Brent Flair. And you brought up a guy like Ethan Sampson. You brought up a guy like Dan Y.A., Connor McLennan. Like, these are guys that 
they took flyers on in later rounds, and it seems that almost immediately they have higher upsides than most. Maybe a guy like Tuamala needs some work, but again, Mark kind of mentioned that that was maybe more of his agent's fault. Maybe a guy like Emil Andre as well, who was drafted in the second round in, was it 2020 or 2019 that he was drafted? But I think that they have some really nice young players here, guys like Brink, guys like Cates, who are probably NHLers to start next season regardless. And then you have still some young NHL players like an Owen Tippett and Joel Farabee. And if you could draft a center this year in the top five and a center next year in the top five, or probably next year even in the top ten, you really may have something fall into your lap here. And it kind of is frustrating that, man, if they just embrace taking just next year off, like not even go down to full, you know, Ottawa, Arizona-esque rebuild where you tear it down to the studs and restart – but if you just invest one more year into kind of retooling on the fly or whatever the hell you want to say, this could get better sooner than we expect because there are a lot of good insulation pieces here. They're just missing that that building block talent. It just, you know, obviously the whole Dave Scott, you know, we're going to retool blank check bullshit. Like, it just feels like everyone's kind of resigned to the rebuild at this point. You know, like, ever, the TNT panel has done it. NHL Network did a segment in the day where they're like, these fucking flyers, they're fucking crazy for trying to rebuild. <laughs> you know? <laughs> or to retool, to try and salvage the season. And, you know, go into this year's draft, get a top five pick, just run it back next year. Fuck, if you just leave Konechny and Katuri to sit there and flail for one more year, they'll suck next year too. And not only do you have a deep draft next year, but the free agent pool is substantially better. You know, you're looking at guys potentially Patrick Kane, Pasternak, Tarasenko, O'Reilly, Larkin, McKinnon, Pacioretty, Timo Mier, Jonathan Huberto, JT Miller, Tyler Bertuzzi. And that's just scratching the surface. Now, granted, they probably won't all make it there, but one or two of them will. And those are the kind of game-changing guys. You know, finding, if Dylan Larkin hits free agency, I'd rather sign him to an you know, eight-year contract than I would this year going all in at fucking Nazim Kadri. You know, it's just going one more year. It's just 2023 holds so much potential prosper for the Flyers, where if you just sit and toil in this ooze one more year, which doesn't sound great, don't get me wrong, but like... If you come out greater in 2024 because of it, rather than being even more hamstrung than you are because you overpaid for Kadri, went all in on, you know, John Klingberg or something, like, I, I just don't see how you don't wait one more year at this point. It just doesn't make any sense to hit the panic button and, and, and go crazy this year when all of your hopes and dreams could be met next year, potentially. Well, it's because you, you look at a good crop of talent they already have, and you say that look, you're going to get a chance to draft a really good player this year. You may put yourself in a position next year to draft another potentially even better player, depending where you fall. And that changes a lot. And it's only a year. And I know that it's going to suck next year. The building will probably be empty next year. The product is probably going to be crap next year if they take that path. But if that means you could be a very exciting team in 23, 24 and maybe a cup team in 24-25, is that not better than just trying to go balls deep to try and win a cup in the next two years? Because even if you do try and maximize winning with the Provorov, Sanheim, Couturier, Konechny, all that shit type of team, how big of a window are you really going to have? Two or three years max? At best, probably. Yeah. And look, like, if I had a damn 
you know, certainty, like a guarantee from the future, which obviously is impossible. But you could say you will be a cup contender for the next two years. But then after that, the shit's going to fly off the rails. I would probably take it just because, you know, you don't have a chance to go for a cup all the time. But I don't know if it's realistic for that to happen. Like, how many things would have to fall right this summer to put this team on a cup contending path next year? To a say lot. nothing what the fuck is going on with the Ryan Ellis thing. Yeah. So, I don't know. For for me, it seems like they've acquired a lot of draft picks for next year. I think they have two picks in the third round, two picks in the fourth round. They have the 2024 first-round pick from Florida that maybe they can try and parlay into something next year. They have a. They could easily add more draft capital if they elect to move on from a guy like Provorov. Like, hey, if your plan is to suck next year, you trade Provorov for a king's ransom. Yeah. You do it without a, in a heartbeat. You trade Travis Konechny for future. Please, God, it, trade Travis <laughs> Konechny. I I think at that point I would probably keep Sanheim and Ristolainen as your veteran defense on the back end. Uh, I think that would be your best course of action. But look, I mean, if they decide to put all their focus on the 2023 draft and try and reload for 23-24, you know, it may be better than people would have originally thought. Yeah, uh, and, and you know, I, I put out the piece a few weeks back uh, guessing the potential lineups. And, you know, if you drain all of your assets, this year's first-round pick, next year's first-round pick, all of your prospects, uh, swapping out the main roster guys, like, you can probably put on a competitive team for one or two more years, but then the salary cap chokes you out and you're screwed. Or, you know, the age catches up to you and you're screwed. Like, uh, but even with that idea, like, I don't think the Flyers organization has the balls to trade their draft pick this year. If their idea is to be competitive next season, but you go, well, we don't really want to trade our first round pick, then what the hell are we doing here? You know what I mean? Like, if you're not going to go all in and make your team competitive yeah. next year, then just don't. Just take another year, run it back with the same roster full of underwhelming shitheads, and try and make something. Get a top pick this year. Get a top pick next year. Sweet Christ! Maybe walk away with Connor Bedard. You know, like, just, I, I just, and it's, it's something you and I mentioned before. Like, just give me a direction. Just give me one direction at this point. That's all I want. Just rebuild. It doesn't even have to be. Re yeah, I don't want a 15-year Arizona Coyotes. You don't have to tear it down that far. You know, but you have to be proactive in your approach. Lose while you can. Sell off some players. Get. I, I mean, if you get rid of Provorov and Konechny and, you know, whoever the fuck else is on this roster. Maybe Kevin Hayes. You know, you get a couple extra first-round picks next season. You, then you can have three or four picks. I mean, you look at guys like... Bowen Byram, you know, who was drafted with a pick that somebody else acquired. You know, Colorado got that from Ottawa, I believe, in the Matt Duchesne trade. You know, try something like yeah. that. You know, get a pick from a desperate team. Trade Kevin Hayes to Boston and try and get their first-round pick. And if they suck next year, then you get a high pick. You know, something like that. If you can be proactive and, you know, make the moves to succeed in the very short future versus just panicking this offseason like that just seems like the best move right now Forster shows up next year Denoyer shows up next year Zade Wisdom shows up next year like you'll start to get a good look at some of these guys at the pro level you'll get Brink and Cates even more time hopefully Adderd can figure out how to play defense between now and then like if these young guys can hit thinking positively then you've got you know 
a bunch of guys in their early 20s that can produce for years to come. If Forrester can be a goal scorer at the NHL, you know, he can make that transition into next year, and then in 23-24, it's freaking go time. You know, like, you can... T- I, I don't think the future is overly bleak, but I think you definitely need, if you're going to rebuild, you need to start steering that ship in the direction, part ways with Pro Rob and Kinecti, get a couple of first-round picks, really embrace the next two or three years of drafting, and then be ready to go in the short term. You know, that's that's what I would do here. I think you've got enough talent, and obviously, you know, the health of guys like Wade Allison will ultimately determine where they end up long-term, but like, if things go right here, which I realize doesn't happen very often here in Flyerland, but if things go right, like, I don't think the future is quite as bleak as people like to paint it right now. It's only bleak because we're under this impression that they're going to try and turn this into a competitive team next year. But I heard Anthony Sanfilippo actually say something with Jason Mertides earlier this week that, like, do we even know what the definition of an aggressive retool is? And for all we know, they're not saying rebuild because they're not planning to tear it down to the studs. So maybe an aggressive retool is putting all their eyes on the 2023 draft. Like, to be honest, based on what they did at the deadline, they aside from the Claude Giroux trade, but I think even at then they obtained a, uh, a pick in the 2023 draft, if I'm not mistaken. You know, they put a lot of stock into adding draft capital into that year. I don't think they added any draft picks for the upcoming draft, if I'm not mistaken. I don't think so. So I'm saying to myself, like, maybe Fletcher under the radar is planning to ice a non-competitive team next year. And maybe his eyes is on 2023-2024. And he hinted as much during his press conference. He was the one that said, yeah, you know, we get top talent through the draft. That's how we do it. You know, he never said that's where his heart was at, but he made note of that's how you do it. It was Scott who was the one that goes, we got a blank check and we got to win next year. You know, so I, I, I've said this for a while. I think if it was just Fletcher and Flair's ship to run here, I think they would do the right thing. It just comes down to what Dave Scott ultimately decrees from the top down and, you know, how bad they want to win. And I get it. Your, your attendance sucks. There's like 3,000 people in the building every night. That sucks. Okay, but like long, nobody's going to buy in next year anyway. And we talked about this on on Frequent Flyer, like how many months in the next season, even if they go balls to the wall and they get Debrincat and Larkin and Gaudreau and run a brand new top line next year, how many months is it going to take for people to buy into the the, the team? Probably quite a few. Like you're not going to recoup that serious attendance until probably December if you're on the right path. Like take one more year and suck, but have success for 10 years after that. You know, like it's, it's, it's put a competitive team on the ice next season or the best of your ability to put a competitive team in the ice next season or put a competitive team in the ice for a decade plus. If you just sit back another year or two like that, that that's just what it comes down to right now. And I just don't understand how anybody could think you can salvage this. I just don't think they've got the balls to do it. And I don't know. I just... Ah, I hate the Flyers, Anthony. I fucking hate them. And it just comes down to the fact that they don't have star power on this team. Like, there is no... None whatsoever. There is no standalone first-line player on this team. There is no standalone top-line talent on this team. Obviously, you could argue 
till the cows come home about Ivan Provorov. I saw him up close in Montreal, and actually, do you want to talk about that? Uh, when I was spotted. Oh yeah, crowd. you're a TV star now. <laughs> that was so funny. Yeah, I, I one thing that I found the funniest about that is that it looked like I just told my girlfriend that like I had cancer or something with her eyeballs opened wide. Eyes yes, like yeah. <laughs> Whatever you were talking about was definitely uh, intense. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I got to see him firsthand, and I look at a guy like Provorov, and I say this guy has talent. Like he he's playing with like you know subpar talent with guys like you know Adderd or whoever it is. Although Adderd has been better the last few games, I've I've liked what I've seen from him. But you know I'm not de- looking to go down a Ivan Provorov rabbit hole. But what I'm saying here is that. The talent you have, and let's say, let's discount guys like Kevin Hayes and Sean Couture, even though they're not top-line talent either, but guys who are, like, still in their mid-20s or younger, your best players are Joel Farabee and Travis Konechny. That's not good enough, like, even in the slightest. Not even close. Even if, not even close. And, like, they're on a good day. Their ceilings are top-line players but have to be the worst player on their line. That's how I would phrase, that's how I would categorize Konechny and Joel Therabi. You cannot go to war with that as your top end talent. So anything short of adding a player like Dylan Larkin means that you have to get that player through the draft. And even a guy like Dylan Larkin, he's going to be what, 27, I want to say this summer? 26, 27, yeah. And then you're going to need to lock him into a contract next year, which yeah. is probably going to be no cheaper than eight by eight, if not more expensive. I'm sure he, yeah, I think he would be coming in closer to $9 million. So even at that, even if you could get Dylan Larkin, that would probably cost you like Joel Farabee and Cam York or something like that. Would it not be better to try and just build through the draft and not give up already established assets on your roster? At this point, there's no reason for it. And, and, you know, we talked earlier in the year uh, before things really got off the rails, you know, about throwing something, you know, throwing money in, in picks and prospects or whatever at Dylan Larkin or Tomas Hurdle, who ultimately resigned with San Jose. But it's like, we're so far past that point. <laughs> you know? If you are if you want to get Larkin, more power to you, but you also got to get somebody else with Larkin. You got to get a Debrin Cat or a Goudreau or something crazy, you know. And at that point, you know, the money you're going to have to lock into those guys and the time, and they're already in their, like, mid-late 20s. I believe Goudreau's 29, Larkin's 26 or 27. Like, at that point, again, that uh, how much time do you have to win with those two? You know, two, maybe three years legitimately, you know, before you're right back where you are now when you have a Katuri and Hayes who were in their freaking early 30s and you're screwed, right? It's just, you're, the amount of moves you'd have to make to ice a truly competitive roster is insane. I don't think it's impossible, but it's it's just not within the realm of realism in terms of modern-day NHL. I mean, you saw the moves Fletcher made last year, and they came out with this bullshit. You know, it just wasn't enough. And I don't think there's going to be enough this year. And why risk it when you can just go into two drafts, this summer and next summer, walk away with at least one center, you know, with a bright future, and call it a freaking day? And if you have some of these young guys develop, you got some time. Listen, you've got no fucking centers in this prospect pool. What's up, goddamn ever at this point? But, like, I don't know. I just, 
It seems like everybody realizes that a rebuild is the right way to go. And I mentioned the TNT panel. And they're just openly laughing at the idea of the Flyers trying to salvage this ship. And I think a vast majority of the fan base is on the idea now as well. They're on the same wavelength. Of, Listen, how you go about it is case by case, right? Whether you want to trade this guy or that guy or this guy, whatever. I don't give a shit. But I think everyone's in the general agreement that a rebuild is the only real way to to salvage the Philadelphia Flyers, both in the short and long term. And the the whole Ryan Ellis thing, I think, may be the nail in the coffin. Because if he can't be a stable part of this team going forward, like even a guy like Dave Scott, who referenced Ryan Ellis as one of the core pieces of this team, he, even he would have to realize like this thing's beyond saving, right? I would hope so. Because if, let's say, Ryan Ellis hypothetically and obviously we don't have a crystal ball but in a hypothetical world let's say we did and we knew that he was going to play at least 70 games next year at least then an aggressive retool to try and be competitive next year would be somewhat plausible right like you could at least see it in a way but without him well for one i'll just pitch it to you if you had that guarantee that he would play at least seven, 70 games could you at least see it as a possible scenario with Ellis? Yeah. I think Ellis comes back. Not only is he good in his own right, and he addresses the, especially the need on the power play, but he should lift Provorov up. You can have Sandman and Ristolainen as your second pair and let them do their thing in, in you know, not top minutes. You know, they can eat whatever Provorov and Ellis don't. Like, if Ellis was healthy in here and was responsible for at least 60 to 70 games, you know, a vast majority of the season, like... It's at least a starting point. But without Ellis, like, you don't have a top right-handed defenseman. You can't put Ristolainen in that role. You can't play Kamiok on the right side forever. That's not a good idea. Like, just without that, everything else kind of crumbles underneath. And you're still stuck with, you know, Provorov by himself. So it's just... It, <laughs> he really is the the crux of, of what happens here. And it doesn't sound like he's going to be available for one reason or another going to next season, based on your reports last week. I mean, my report last week is just that everything's up in the air. You know, this wasn't me reporting that he told the team that he doesn't want to play for them or he's definitely going to be injured to start next year. It's just that, like, there's so much uncertainty going around that it's almost like assuming him to be part of the team going forward and such an integral part of the team going forward would be malpractice. He's a, and, he's a luxury. Ryan Ellis is a luxury. You cannot consider him here next year. You have to assume he's going to miss a whole bunch of time, and maybe we'll play 20 games at the end of the season, right? You you just He has to be in the mind of, okay, he's on the roster, but he's not actually on the roster. You can't go, well, we're going to have Ryan Ellis back next year. That's an internal addition that we don't need to do anything. You know, you can't pull that card. You If he's here, great, but you have to prepare as though he's not going to be here. Which is absolutely ridiculous, right? Because he was the guy that was supposed to be... He was supposed you know, to be the, the, the game changer. The guy that came in and added a little bit of veteran fucking stability to this blue line. And be the guy in the power play guy because he got rid of Gossespear. Like, all of this shit. And he just, he just isn't here. He's in the fucking Home Depot gardening center right now. Uh, is that actually a thing? Yeah, apparently he was photographed there. Oh my god. <laughs> It's planting season. He needs to get out there and plant his, uh, you know, fruits and vegetables and whatnot. Well, I mean. With his broken cock or whatever the fuck he's dealing with. 
Oh my god, I just can't wait till like we have something like legitimately new to talk about other than just this team fucking sucking. Talk about uh, Nazim Kadri's contract and oh god, <laughs> paying Gaudreau fifteen million dollars a year to come home. <laughs> Do you want to touch on this uh, Travis Konechny business? I could spend another hour yelling about Travis Konechny. I well, just, just... <sighs> do I your just... best. <laughs> I just don't get it. Uh, you're... We've had Dave Pagnotta on the show a bunch of times, and what is the one thing he says every time? Your stars need to be stars. Your top guys need to be the ones that are carrying your team. And Konechny just isn't fucking good enough. And there's every excuse on, well, it's the coaching staff. It's AV's system that was in place. It's the rest of the team sucking. It's this, it's that. He's got 26 goals in the last 146 games dating back to the 1920 season. That is ludicrous. I had somebody say, well, if you prorate his numbers from last year, he's got 55 points. 55 points? Who gives a shit? His 52 points right now is currently 112th in the league in scoring, and he is ranked 31st out of the 32 teams in terms of top score on their team. Only Jared McCann with 47 points in Seattle has less as the team's top score than Konechny. It's just not good enough. It's not. One well, it's, somebody flat out blamed McEwen earlier in the day. Well, you know, it's the depth's fault. It's the how many years? Remember in 2019-20 when Terensky and Bunneman made the team, and everything that was ever wrong was their fault. I just how why why are we complacent? Why are we okay with players that just aren't good enough? He's six years into his career. He's not just going to magically get better one time. If you bring in Larkin and fucking uh, Alex Debrincat and he plays on their wing, I'm sure he can be carried to a good season. That's the only reason why he has any good numbers in his career to begin with. Because he rode shotgun with fucking Couturier and Giroux, who are in the middle of their fucking breakout seasons. That was Giroux's 100-point year, that was Couturier's 70-point season. Like Any success he's had has been riding the coattails with a guy. He's not a leader. He's not a a guy. He's a complimentary guy. And this whole fucking roster is filled with 50-point complimentary wingers. There's nothing, nothing this guy brings to the table as a unique hockey player. Absolutely not. Oh, he makes faces, Daniel. (laughs) Shut the fuck up! And Mike pointed this out on Friggin' Flyer the other day. Like, the people that love Travis Konechny, they're not the people that are buying tickets. Those are not the people that are buying your season tickets. If the Flyers keep him and you know, keep him as a, here on the roster and he comes in, in the star next season, like you're playing to the wrong audience. These people are not paying. <laughs> Bring in a real star. And that blows my fucking mind that people don't want Gaudreau. They don't want Marner. They don't want Larkin. They don't want Dabrinkat. No, 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 no. They don't want real talent. No. They want pieces of shit like Travis Konechny who are there to make faces so they can get fucking meme-worthy contents and cat phrases. I just don't get it. I, I just... Do, it, like, I don't think Konechny's bad. I think in the right role, you can squeeze a lot of talent out of him. I'm sure if they do trade in this summer, he'll be the new Abi Kubel and we'll hear about every single fucking time he breathes on his new team. But it's just... It's, just, it's not going to happen here. You don't possess the center depth to have him succeed... And if you did have center depth, you've got a dozen other fucking people that deserve opportunities that he does not. His time's over. 
He had his chance to prove himself in the past, and he didn't do it. And he didn't do it this year. He's got 52 points. Whoopty fucking do. JVR's got 23 goals, and I already see people talking about, oh, we got to bring him back. He's a 20-goal scorer. <laughs> I, I can't take it. I cannot take wanting to run it back year after year after year after year after year after year with the same bullshit players that have had no success during their time in Philadelphia. I don't get it. I don't understand. How how is it possible that people like this guy, that people like this current team? How can you say that the Flyers suck, but that every player individually you love? How is it possible? I just, I hate this fan base. I hate them all. Every last one of them. Jesus Christ. Fuck Travis Konechny. Fuck this stupid goddamn team. Trade them all. Trade them for a first-round pick and trash somebody worthwhile next season. Or this year in 2024. Hell, 2074 at this point. Just get a fucking move on from him. I've had enough of Travis Konechny. If he's here next year, I will not be. I can't take it anymore. Look, Travis Konechny is a 20-25 goal, 50-55 point player. And that's okay. As mediocre as it fucking gets. That's a solid NHL second-line winger. But if Travis Konechny is your best player, I need a drink. your best offensive player, you're in a whole lot of fucking issues. And we saw that in the 2020 bubble. And maybe I put too much stock into the 2020 bubble playoffs. but He's never been the same year, since. Never been the same since, but it's, it wasn't just him. Because 26 was, goals since then. He had three consecutive 24 goal seasons in the three years leading up to that. Then he had 26 goals in the last two years plus the playoffs. What is happening? I've never seen a guy so snake bitten. Doesn't he lead the team in scoring chances right now or something crazy like that? With fucking 15 goals. Bro, like something ain't adding up there. You know, something just ain't adding up there. And yes, he's looked a little better over the last few weeks. If you want me to be real about the guy, he's looked better. He's looked like he's finally pulling his head out of his ass, but that doesn't mean you run it back. That's always the hot fucking take this time of year. We talked about this in Morgan Frost we went on the air. Like, oh, well, Morgan Frost, well, he's trending in the right direction. He's looking a little better. He completed a pass. Man, we got to run it back with him again next year to see what he's got. Fuck. I mean, at this point, if you're rebuilding, you fucking may as well run it back with Morgan Frost because who the hell cares? But, like, I don't know. I I just, I have no tolerance for these people that are six-year NHL veterans. Next year will be connecting his seventh season and we're treating him like he's a fucking rookie, still making rookie music. He's 26! For Christ's sake! I just don't get it. These people would rather ride or die with the players in this current team than they would actual talent. And it's just, this sport has fucking passed me by. I don't get it. I just don't get it. Well, look, he, he's not playing bad. Like, he's not a bad player, but it's also the whole thought process of we only are going to get prepared to give up crap for talent. Like, when I personally say that I think Travis Konechny should be moved, this isn't me saying that I think that he's a shit hockey player. It's me saying that I think that the Flyers have enough pieces within their system to replace him. Like, I think that Owen Tippett would be a guy that could replace Travis Konechny. Like, Owen Tippett has the highest expected goals for per 60 since coming to Philadelphia with three out of any Flyers forward. He has, not including 
Claude Giroux and Sean Couturier, he has the best Corsi percentage. Like, okay, the goals aren't coming, but the goals aren't exactly coming for Travis Konechny either. So you, you also got two got... dozen wingers on this fucking team and system right now. Right wing specifically. Yeah. They're just... so... <laughs> Cam Atkinson, Travis Konechny, Joel Faraby can play either side. Tibbetts the right side. Bobby Brink's a right side. Tyson Forrester's a right side. Uh, Denoyer, I believe, is a lefty. Uh, so he's probably on the other side. Uh, Allison's a right wing. I don't remember if I already said him. Like, you just all these fucking guys are right wingers, you know. Tumal, Tumal is technically a right wing if you want to consider him anything. Like, I, I just there's no he is not substantially better than Owen Tippett, and there's a good chance Bobby Brink will be just as good in a few years. Like he's Konechny doesn't possess the talent to kick it into overdrive. He's not a legitimate first line right winger, and he doesn't do anything different than any of the other wingers on this current team. He's just a 15 to 20 goal, 50 point guy. And like, I'm pretty sure that's the ceilings of just about every other person on this team right now. They're just, they're all the fucking same players. And plus, fucking Connect is making five and a half million dollars, whereas Brink is on his ELC. Tippett's probably going to make what, a million and a half next year? You know, you're paying this guy substantial money to replicate roles that your bottom six wingers are playing. You made an investment in the guy who was coronated under the Hextall era as some legitimate fucking winger, and that just never happened. It just never happened. Just wave the white flag! You can trade him, it's okay! You'll be fine, you won't even fucking notice he's gone. You'll notice he won't have stupid fucking face-making out there, but everybody else, from a hockey perspective, Tippett and Brink will carry the slack. Forrester's gonna show up sooner or later, he'll carry the slack. Allison's here next year, he'll carry the slack. They'll be fine. You're not gonna lose anything from a hockey perspective, from a pure hockey perspective, you are not gonna lose anything if you trade connect me this summer yeah God. No, it's a good point it's a very no it's a very fair point and look again i i don't think this is me saying that i hate travis Konechny. i do of course <laughs> i i think travis Konechny is a good hockey player he's just out of I chances do. here he's out but of it's opportunities also, if you could use him to get something better, I, I just don't see a world where he comes back next year. Just he and JVR are the two that are gone. If I had to put my money on out. two players that are gone next year, it's Couturier, or it's uh, JVR and uh, Konechny. It's got to well, be, it, right? Well, it's because, like, look, if, if you're trying to be competitive next year and you have to add a centerman, you're probably going to have to move Konechny for two reasons. One, to try and bring in talent, and B, and or bring him to move his salary, clear the salary to bring in a centerman like that. But if you're rebuilding... Then kick him out anyway, because you got a bunch of young wingers coming up. And you could probably add a first-round pick next Yeah. Year. Like, I, maybe you keep him around, but I just think that he's one of those guys, along with Provorov... That if you're deciding to take next year off, because what they they were drafted seven years ago, right? Yep. And look, I'm a huge Provorov fan, but if you're not planning to compete next year, then yeah, trade the guy. Yeah, you, Provorov is the same thing. Like it just he's not. Yeah, listen, I like Provorov. I haven't given up on him to the same level most people have. But if you're not going to be competitive next year, then let him go. <laughs> Get a first round pick for the guy. Get maybe a first and a second round pick for the guy. Some team's going to pay up for him. You know, he's still very good. And in the right scenario, he'll look absolutely great. But 
there's no reason to waste another year of Provorov here when you've got a roster full of defensemen who you can cycle out in his place and give chances to. Especially on the left side. Zamula's looked really good in the NHL. You got Cam York. You got Sanheim, who I don't think is going anywhere just yet, though next summer he's a UFA, so we'll have to, you know, burn that bridge when we get to it. But in the, like, you've got plenty of left-handed defensemen in this system right now to give chances to. And if York, you know, I, I do think York in time will be just as good, you know, as Sanheim, as Provorov. He's going to be in the same mix as those two. So I don't think you need all three of them. Sooner or later, you're going to have to make a choice. And if you're committed to a rebuild, then trade Provorov away to a team and get a couple picks for the guy. You know, and give that time to York next year and see if you got something there. And if you do, great, then you got a replacement cheaper. You know, and you get a first-round pick to boot. It's not trading connect. Like, how many? I just listed off all these freaking wingers. You know, would you rather have Konechny on the roster next season taking away a top sticks winger spot from Bobby Brink and ultimately hampering his development just so you can feel better at the end of the day? Or would you rather trade him for a first-round pick? You get that first-round pick in 2023. Bobby Brink moves up into the top six. He looks like a goddamn star. You know, you've actually got some talent for the future there. If you're rebuilding, you have to be ready to feel the pain of the rebuild. And I think that's, you know, I've talked about this in the past. Like, I don't think fans are ready to to feel that pain. They want to rebuild. They want a better product on the end. But I don't think they're ready to take the bullets necessary in order to get to that point where you have success in the future. You're going to have to lose a lot of the Hextall guys. You know, you're all these guys that we've told for years with promise and promise and promise and promise and connecting and program. Highlight those two. Let them go and start again. And bring in the new guys. They just... They're just unnecessary on this current team, especially when you have an abundance of left-handed defensemen and an abundance of right-wingers in your system. Give somebody else a chance. Rebuild. Take those draft picks. Get somebody else. Walk away with you know a, a, another top five pick with your own next year. Maybe another top ten pick uh, with somebody else. It's like you can make this happen. You just have to not be afraid to part with anything. And, you know, based on the moves last season when Fletcher didn't seem overly afraid to part with guys like Patrick and Gostas Bear, you know, shit like that. Like, he moved some some bigger names slash key pieces to this team, so I think he won't be afraid to do it again. So that's all I can hope, is that these guys are just moved on from in the summer. We can wash our hands clean of them. I know we're going to have to hear about them every game for the next fucking 15 years, but God damn it! like, as long as they're not on my hockey team and you pick a different direction, that's all I want right now. I mean, look at just the right wingers, like Tippett, Brink, Atkinson, Allison, like just those guys alone. And obviously you can't really count on Wade Allison and maybe Tippett's a guy that you can maybe shift to the left side. But uh, although Tippett has looked good with Cates and uh, Cam York. I really like Owen Tippett. Yep, I like Especially for all the complaining people did when they first acquired him. He's looked really freaking good for the most part. If he can get that finishing going, I think he's got a really good player there. Watch. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> I want this prospect I've ever seen. No, I want this one. Yeah. And Tyson Forrester. He's coming up, too. Yeah, Tyson Forrester. Zade Wisdom. Wisdom's I think a right wing. Yeah. They have a lot of right wings. Got a lot of right wings. You want to go deeper than that? You got Hayden Hodgson, Linus Sandine, who I don't think comes back next year. Uh, Maxim Shushko's a right wing. I believe Strom, he's listed as left wing. I'm almost positive he's playing on the right side. 
You know, Ratcliffe is a left wing. Like, you just, you have so many goddamn wingers in this system right now. Like, you have no legit center depth outside of, you know, Tanner Lazinski, I believe, is the only one that may have even kind of an NHL future in front of him. Uh, you know, I, I don't think Jackson Cates ever plays a real role here, but, you know, we shall see with that one. Um, but, goddamn. Like you just you have so many people here. If you get rid of Connecting, you won't even know. And if you get rid of Connecting, you let one of these young guys show up, and you got another star in the making. You got somebody that's gonna have more than fucking fifteen goals next season. Yeah. <sighs> anyway, I mean, it's gonna be an interesting couple of weeks to see what direction they take. That's for sure. Well, we got, uh, what, two games left. They play Winnipeg tonight, which I believe is in Winnipeg, which is fantastic. They had to haul their asses up there to Winnipeg for the second-last game of the season when they've been out of a playoffs for a month. And then Ottawa on Friday, last game of the year. And the uh, draft lottery is two weeks from Tuesday, so two weeks from yesterday. So we shall know the fate of the Flyers. Maybe Gary Bettman's system looks down on the Flyers and they can draft Shane Wright. That'd be, that'd be pretty cool. We have an actual prospect on this team. More than likely what's going to happen is they fall back to fucking seventh overall or some dumb shit like that, right? Just to one last mm. kick in the nuts of the 2021-22 season. Wouldn't be surprised. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Um, Let's see. Got a sisterly pod tonight that'll go up uh, probably over the weekend sometime. Got a whole bunch of frequent flyers we recorded. We recorded for five and a half hours last Friday, so I think we got four oh, more episodes God. coming up. Um. Oh. Oh yeah, 8 p.m. to 1:30 a.m. <laughs> but uh, yeah, we recorded, broke all that stuff down. That's all edited. I believe we got four episodes out of that. This will be up, you know, in the next few weeks um, as well. Shane on Monday, and I guess we'll be back next week, maybe to do a season wrap up. And uh, yeah, at Dan the Flyer fan, at Brotherly Puck, at Brotherly underscore Pod, and uh, Anthony, where can people find you on Twitter? You can find me at A to Marco 25. All right, everybody. Until next time, goodbye and good night.